So we're in a series called Amen, and this is the last part of the series. We've been talking about prayer, and our goal is to, for everybody in this room to pray, and if you don't have a prayer life, to start one, and if you already have one, so then to improve on it or maybe to learn more about it. And uh, for the past few weeks, we've been talking about different types of prayers because maybe one type of prayer doesn't work for you, and you know, you're like, ah, oh, this prayer makes me, makes me fall asleep, so I want to try something else. And so we've been introducing you guys to new types of prayers. And so I'm going to do a quick recap on those things. We talked about practicing his presence, which is a silent type of prayer where you just sit there and you don't even talk. You just sit there and just try to sense that God is with you, that God is with us. The second week we talked about the prayer examine, which was discovered or created or labeled by this guy named uh, Ignatius of Loyola hundreds of years ago, where he just allows God to speak to him so that he knows what to pray for. And maybe if that's new to you and you're like, hey, I've discovered that this has been good, a good exercise for me. The week after that, we talked about discerning his voice. Maybe you received a word from God, and you, but you weren't sure. Was that, was that God speaking to me or was that just my thoughts? And so Pastor Stan was here. He was kind of telling you, you know, teaching you guys about how, how this, you know, if it sounds like this and that's not God, if it sounds like this, there's a good possibility it is from him. And we had a quick question and response after that. And that was great. You guys submitted some really good questions. Then, <clears throat> then the weeks following that, intercessory prayer and receiving prayer, Pastor Lori talked about how we could pray for other people. And when somebody prays for you, how to receive that prayer. And these are very, very important things to, kn- to know because sometimes it requires an attitude and a heart of humility to receive somebody's prayer or maybe to pray for somebody. <clears throat> and then last week, and this is like the most old school way of praying, it's, we called it composed prayers, but other people call it responsive reading. Some people call it liturgical prayers. And what we did was we all stood up and we read some passages and we read some ancient prayers together. And for some of you, you guys came up to me afterwards and said, I grew up in a Catholic church and uh, that was kind of reminiscent of what I used to do as a kid. Or for some of you, this was new and you said, well, that was very rich. I would never have used those words to pray these things. But some of you said, yeah, it was kind of distracting when we were reading together and the person in front of me was speaking a lot faster than I was and it was hard to get in sync with everybody else. <clears throat> you used a big word, inebriate, and I didn't know what that meant. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sometimes it takes a little while for you to get used to it. But the whole point is there's different types of prayers and as Westlake Community Church, we're part of that denomination called Free Methodist, Free Methodist Church. And we believe in this thing called Via Medea, which means if you're into the charismatic church prayer type of stuff where you're like you're praying for speaking in tongues and people dancing down the, up and down the aisles, but, but you're like, yeah, but that kind of prayer doesn't really speak to me. The kind of prayer is the more liturgical, very, you know, everybody stands and says the exact same thing. Both types of prayers we accept in our church. That's the richness of who we are, is that we don't discriminate based off of what kind of prayer you pray, what kind of language you use when you pray. The whole point that we're interested in is knowing that you are actually praying. But sometimes we pick prayers, prayer styles maybe, based off of effectiveness. Like when I prayed it this way, God answered my prayer. But when I prayed it another way, he was really silent. And I think we have this tendency of judging and maybe making decisions on how we pray based off of how God responds. And I want to say that's probably not the best way to judge which style of prayer is best for you. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about, you know, we've been talking about different styles of prayer. Today I want to talk about the foundational thing that we have to understand before we pick which type of prayer that we ought to be praying. So, because, you know, we talked about effectiveness in prayer, right? But, and I think... When it comes down to it, the thing that really, the, the question that we always ask is this Why didn't God answer my prayer? 
right? If God answered every single time immediately in a very obvious and vocal way, or maybe audibly you could hear him, if that's you, then you're like, yes, I love praying. I should never stop praying. But the fact of the matter is, for a lot of us, me included, and you know, maybe there's some holy, holy people here that are like, no, I hear him every time. But if you're part of my group of people who are like, yeah, sometimes I don't hear him, or sometimes, or most of the time, it's just silent. And so you're looking for a different style of, through the different styles of prayer, hoping that maybe one of these things, you will get an immediate response. And the fact is, you have not found anything that's really worked for you. So I want to address this question because when, you see, like a few, like, few weeks ago, I, you know, I, I was praying for something. It was something really not serious. Like I was driving and I'm like, Lord, just give me green lights all the way through. Right? And maybe, maybe if I, I should have practiced his presence first before I did it, because that didn't work. Right? Or, you know, just a few days ago, yesterday, um, so uh, if you guys don't know, Val and, my, Val and I, we, we, we love Disneyland. We do everything Disney. We, we got, we, I proposed to her at Disneyland. We went to Disney World for our honeymoon, and we have annual passes now for 10 years plus. Right? I mean, we, we yeah, we, we basically paid for the new Star Wars land. That's, you're welcome, right? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, and now my son has a pass, and now my daughter's three, so she can't get in for free, so now we're thinking about, should we get, you know, yeah, so <laughs> don't judge me for that. But, okay, so, but the whole, whole thing is, right, so we like everything Disney, and then uh, yesterday, so th- I don't know if you know this, but next week there's this big expo that's going to happen in Anaheim for all the Disney fans. It's the official Disney fan club. So, <laughs> so, we're like, hey, let's go. And we're like, okay, so, you know, because we're just crazy enough to say, yeah, let's mingle with thousands and thousands of people who are crazy about Disney, maybe even crazier than me, right? So, and there's some panels that we could go to where there's one panel on Saturday where they give you a preview of all the upcoming movies. So they give you a preview of Star Wars Episode Nine, right? And the new Pixar movie that's coming out next year and also Frozen 2 that's coming out this November. Uh, this is just an advertisement for them, huh? right? Okay, but, <clears throat> and so we're, I'm sitting there, it's a reservation system, so I'm sitting there in front of the computer, and I'm like hitting refresh because, you know, I'm like, I want to make sure that I want to get that, those tickets, and I want to get those reservations. And Val's like, oh, maybe we should pray about it. I was like, no, I'm not going to waste a prayer on this, you know, and, <laughs> <clears throat> right? But the bottom line is we didn't get those tickets. Maybe I should have prayed. Uh, okay, but we're still going, but we're not going to be able to go, go into that panel. But yeah, sometimes I always wonder, like, why doesn't God answer my prayers? Sometimes it's simple as like a parking spot. We pray for those things, but sometimes we pray for something serious as somebody's life. Somebody's sick. Somebody's about to die, and you're praying for them. God, would you please heal them? And he doesn't answer our prayers. And so the question is, why didn't God answer my prayers? If I were to ask that question to you, and maybe if I were to ask everybody in this room, you would probably give me different answers. Some people would say, well, God, it's because you don't have enough faith. Other people will say, well, it's because it's a selfish prayer. You're, you're just thinking about yourself. That's why God didn't answer your prayer. And other people will say, well, Koss, you, you know, you have a lot of sin in your life, and maybe if you get rid of that, maybe God will hear you clear. Or maybe some people are saying, maybe you're not persistent enough. Maybe you need more passion. Maybe you need to take years to pray about that one thing. And, and everybody has a different answer for this, right? But this question, why didn't God answer my prayer, actually begs to ask another question, which is this. Can our prayers change God's mind? And if not, why are we asking God to do stuff? Have you guys ever wondered this? Like, if I, I'm like, maybe the reason why God isn't answering my prayer is because God's like, what, you think your voice could change my mind? And so the question is, can we change God's mind? And if so, great. How do we do it? And if not, then why pray? So I want to 
talk about this, and I, I, I'm not going to tackle this topic, but I want to start a conversation so you could talk about it in your life groups. <clears throat> but what, so first I want to approach this philosophically, and then I'm going to go into the Bible and talk about what the Bible says about this. But philosophically speaking first, okay? If you believe that God is perfect, if you believe that his ways are better than ours, if you believe that God's plan for this world and for your life is perfect, the minute you ask him to say, hey, I want to change that a little bit, it's not perfect anymore. Okay, in other words, here's the way I worded it. Alterations to perfection is no longer perfect. If God said, he looked at the world and he said, I'm going to move the dial just like this so it's optimal, it's perfect the way I want it, this is how I want the world to run, and you come into the picture and say, God, can you change the dial just a little bit so it's in my favor, it's no longer perfect. In other words, you can't improve on perfection. To say, God, I want to change your mind about certain things is to basically say, I think I know better than you, God. I think this is how the world ought to run. But, God, aren't there scriptures, aren't there passages, aren't there examples in the Bible that talk about people who change God's mind? And I'm glad you brought that up because there are three characters in the Bible that a lot of people cite when they talk about changing God's mind. Here are the three people. Abram, a.k.a. Abraham, Moses, and Hezekiah. Abram, a.k.a. Abraham, Genesis 18. If you want to do your homework, you can read that later. God comes to him and shows him that he's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abram says, oh, my nephew, Lot, he lives there. I got to make sure that he's okay. So, um, God, would you not destroy that city? And he's like, no, they're destroying themselves, so I'm just kind of speeding up the process. And then God says, give me one good reason why I shouldn't destroy that city. And Abram says, well, um, what if there's 50 righteous people there? Would you destroy an entire city if there are 50 people you could find righteous in there? And God's like, Okay, sure, I'll, I won't destroy the city for 50 people. It's like, okay, now that I got your attention, how about, and he starts moving down the list, how about, how about 45, how about 40, how about 30? And along the way, God keeps saying, okay, I won't destroy the city for that many people. And he comes all the way down to five. If I could find five, God, if there's five people in that city to be righteous, would you destroy it? He's like, no, okay, you convinced me. I will not destroy it for five people. Ah, so there's that example in the Bible where somebody changed God's mind. But in the following verses, the angels of God, they walk into the city and they can't even find five. And so what happens? God destroys the city anyways. So it sounds like Abram was able to change his mind, but in the bigger scheme of things, it didn't really happen. Or in the Moses story. Moses is up on the mountain and he's receiving the Ten Commandments. Right? He's like, oh, this is great. God's the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to go back down. And as he turns around, God's like, oh, before you go down, I want you to know they've been building a golden calf down there. And uh, it doesn't look pretty. So if you wait here, Moses. I'm going to go destroy them. I mean, the words in the book of Exodus chapter 32, the exact words is, I'm going to destroy them. Okay, like, and Moses says, uh, no, I have a better idea, God. I think that what you should do is not destroy them. And so Moses, okay, and this is similar to what Abram did. He basically uses a guilt trip on God to change his mind. This is what he says. You know how you pulled them out of Egypt and you brought them out saying that you're the God Almighty? You know, like you destroyed Egypt so you could bring people out out of slavery. It's like, yeah, 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 I remember that. It's like, yeah, do you remember what they were saying as you left? It's like, yeah, they were saying how mighty your God, this God is. Like, yeah, 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 okay. If one day they find out that the people you pulled out you destroyed in the middle of a desert, you know what they're going to be saying about you, God? They're going to say, oh, look at God. He's so mighty. He destroyed his own people. You know, like, it's not going to look good, good for you. Like, so I have a better idea. Don't destroy them. 
And God's like, okay, sure, I won't destroy them. So it sounds like at that point in the story, Moses changed God's mind. But if you read the following verses, you'll see Moses go down the mountain thinking, yeah, I got to change God's mind. And as he approaches the camp, he sees what God saw. He sees people destroying each other, doing these things that they shouldn't be doing. And Moses gets so angry that he, he basically takes the golden calf, smashes it on the ground, grinds the gold down in, into dust, and pours it into the water and makes him drink it, and people die. That's not the highlight of Israel history, but, you know, it's in the Bible, so we got to talk about it, right? God said, I'm going to destroy them. Moses says, no, but Moses eventually ends up destroying them anyways. It's almost like the minute Moses was able to see what God saw, he all of a sudden became in agreement with what God was about to do anyways. Now, the very interesting story is Hezekiah. You'll find him in 2 Kings chapter 20. Hezekiah is at the end of his life. He's about to die, and a prophet shows up at his door. This guy, Isaiah. Isaiah shows up, and he says, hey, uh, you're going to (laughs) die. Great news. You're going to die. And uh, Hezekiah said, please, please, Lord, give me extra life. I just want to live a few more years. Would you please give me a few more years? And Isaiah says, sorry, I can't do anything. I'm just a messenger, so uh, I'll see you later. And as he's walking out, God speaks to the prophet. And the prophet turns around and says, okay, God just spoke to me. He's going to give you a few more years. He's going to give you 15 years. So at that point, we're like, whoa, Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was able to change God's mind. Whoa, right? Now, if you know who who King Hezekiah is, King Hezekiah is a guy that took this world that's full of destruction, right? And he started creating these God worship centers here and there so that the world started to change their ways. They started to become people who were, you know, trying to bring heaven on earth and they were doing some amazing stuff. And so Hezekiah thought, if I had a few more years, I could do even more for you, God. But in the 15 years that he's actually lived longer than when he was supposed to, in the 15 years, he gives birth, well, his wife gives birth to this boy, and his name is Manasseh. And Manasseh, as he became king, he undid everything that his father was able to accomplish. And so it makes you wonder, should they have changed God's mind? Should they have done it in the first place? Because when you tell these stories the way I, I did right now, it makes you think, you're right, maybe we shouldn't try to change God's mind. Maybe we shouldn't be asking for requests from God. So, Kotz, is, is this what you're saying? Are you saying that maybe we should stop praying by asking him to do certain things for us? The answer is no. We should be asking him to do certain things. We should be making requests, no matter how selfish they are. Well, isn't that what, you, isn't that what the verses just told us not to do? It's like, well, no, okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at one more person in the, in, the, in the scriptures, in the Bible, who made a radical request and was denied. And that character is Jesus. So this is Matthew chapter 26. This is the scene where Jesus is about to die. He knows that within a few hours, he's going to be arrested. Okay, and a few hours hours within that, after that, within 24 hours, he's going to be dead. Okay, so that's the setting here. We all know where this is going. And then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. That's the place. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He's like, I'm about to be arrested. I'm about to die in a few hours. I want to be with my friends. So friends, he takes his inner circle of friends He says, I just want to spend the last few hours of my life with my friends. So would you please sit here and pray? I'm going to go a little further, and I'm going to pray on my own too. What did Jesus pray for? Let's see. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground. That's Jesus, and that's that's showing how much passion he had for this. And prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. 
This suffering that I'm about to experience is like a cup. And Father, I want you to take it away from me. That's his prayer request. Now, for all of us who heard of the Jesus story, we all know that God doesn't grant that prayer request. Jesus, the Son of God, his prayer request is not answered by the Father God. God does not answer God's prayer requests. Why? I mean, as a loving father figure, like, like to look at Jesus and say, I see what's about to happen to you, and you're asking me, and you're passionately asking. I mean, you're not going to say, why, why didn't Jesus' uh, Jesus's prayer request get answered? Oh, it must be because he, was, he didn't have enough faith. You're never going to say that about Jesus. Oh, it's because he wasn't passionate enough. Of course he was passionate enough. It says he fell to the ground with a face to the ground. In, in the book of Luke, it says that he was sweating drops of blood. I mean, that's how passionate he was, right? You're not going to say, oh, it's because of sin in his life. Jesus is sinless. He doesn't have any sin in his life. Why didn't God answer his prayer request? Was Jesus out of line for asking for this? Because if God looked at that prayer and said, whoa, hold up, hold the show, you know, like, I was about to go through this whole, through this whole thing, but now that my son asked me to stop this whole thing, I think, and, and he prayed with faith and he doesn't have any sin, I think I should grant that prayer request. Imagine what the world will look like today if God actually honored that prayer request. Do you know how many levels of differences and changes that the church has made in this world because Jesus died and rose again? The first public school was created by a church. The first hospital was created by a church. A lot of efforts to save lives was first done by a church. Slavery was ended in certain parts of the country because of the church. None of that would have happened if Jesus at this point said, please don't let this happen to me, and God the Father said, okay. But why did Jesus make this request in the first place? Was he out of line for asking, this, asking for this request? You see, the key to this is understanding the next line of this prayer, which goes like this. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. You see, so if, if the first part of the prayer, which is, you know, take this cup away from me, is, let's call that part A, and then we call the, you know, your will, not mine, as part B, you, you'll understand something. Part A is Jesus requesting God to change the circumstance Whereas part B of this prayer is saying, no, 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 don't change the circumstance, change me instead. I know what I'm about to face, and I'm scared of it, and I don't want to go through with it, so make it not happen, versus, no, 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 I I need to follow and submit to what you want this world to look like, so I'll do what you want me to do. Give me the strength in my heart to do it. This prayer has two parts to it. First part is, change the circumstance, and the second part is, no, no, change me. In other words, God is more interested in changing your heart than your circumstances. He wants to make sure, like he says, I have this perfect plan, and it's unfolding right before our eyes, and it does, yes, it does require you to suffer a lot. But Jesus, son, amazing things are going to happen because of your suffering. And Jesus, looking at this, says, then your will be done, not mine. Perhaps the point of prayer is not for God to change circumstances. Maybe prayer, it changes you. It puts you in line with what God wants for this world rather than what you think is best for this world. 
<coughs> so the question is this, how does God do that? How does God take somebody and mold the heart so that it could become, that, that person can become somebody who starts to pray the things that God wants to happen in this earth? How do we do that? How does God do that? If we were to open up this hood of a, of a car and look through all the mechanics of it, what's actually taking place in this prayer that changes God, Jesus from prayer A, change the circumstance to, to prayer B, no, no, change me instead? What's happening here? Well, in order to understand that, we have to look at a bigger context. And the context goes all the way from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. And I'm not going to preach the whole Bible to you. But this is what's happening. So in the very beginning, God created the world, and he declared everything to be good. He saw the plants, he saw the trees, he saw the sun, he saw everything. He was like, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, good, good. And he created a good world. But by the third chapter of the Bible, everything starts to turn sour. Everything's starting to fall apart. And ever since then, God has been looking, way, for, looking for ways to redeem and fix this world. He wanted heaven back on earth. But he didn't just want to snap his fingers and make everything happen. He wanted to partner with people, with humanity, with you and me to do that. But here's a problem with that. There's a big problem with partnering with people like us. When God tells you, I want to see God's, you know, I want to see, you know, heaven on earth. I want the world to become good again. The problem is, if you were to make that request to me, I have my own version of what I think a good world looks like. And you have your own version of what the world ought to look like. You see, because like earlier I said that when I pray for certain things, I pray for green lights all the way through, right? In my world, for heaven on earth, as cost redeems it as heaven on earth, I get green lights every step of the way. I get the best parking spots every single time. I get the best seats in that panel at the D23 Expo that's happening this weekend, right? That would be heaven on earth for me. You know, in a perfect world, my kids would go to the best colleges and it would cost me zero, okay? <laughs> no, I should probably pay something, right? But, you know, and every time I go to the, to the restaurant, they give me extra portions. Enough portions to last me for the next three meals. You know, like, that's heaven on earth for me. But if I were to think about it outside myself, if I get green lights all, all the way through, there might be somebody in an ambulance that needs to get to the hospital. And because I have a green light, they have a red light. There might be, I might get that closest parking spot at the parking lot, right? But a person who's in a wheelchair is probably saying, I needed that spot because I could barely get from point A to point B. You see, my version of heaven, although it works for me, it may not work for everybody else. It might end up being hell on earth for them. So when Jesus says, <clears throat> and this is Jesus' prayer, when his disciples asked him, how do we pray, Lord? He says, let me give you a template for how to pray. This is what he said. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It says, not mine, not yours, not his, not hers. Your kingdom come. It has to be your version of heaven on earth, right? And it has to be your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? He's, he's saying, <clears throat> it can't be just anybody's version of a perfect world. For some of you, you're like, a perfect world would be of one persuasion of a political party. If the whole world was like that, then the perfect world would be perfect. Yeah, maybe for you and your group, but there's some people out there who are saying, I get the short end of the stick when that happens. That's not heaven on earth. You're saying, so-and-so should be president, and if that person becomes president, yay, you know, you benefit from it, but there might be some other people on the other side of the globe. Or, I want to have an abundance of water. I want to have an abundance of food. Great, right? That would be heaven on earth for you, but because of that, there might be somebody who's starving on the other side of the globe. We have to stop and think, Maybe our version of heaven on earth is not good enough. There might be something better. 
my wife and I, we always complain about those paper straws because we hate them because they get soggy by the, by the time you get halfway through the cup, we're like, ah, heaven on earth would be plastic straws for everybody, <laughs> right? But there might be some animals who are suffering for it. We think we know what's best for this world and we try our best to do the research to find out if it is the best thing for this world. I used this example before, but there's a church years ago who did a t-shirt drive, a used t-shirt drive, and sent it to Zimbabwe so that they, the kids there would be clothed. And they did it. They clothed all the kids, and they thought, heaven on earth, two thumbs up, this is awesome. But that same year, the biggest t-shirt manufacturing company in Zimbabwe had to shut down. Was that really what was best for that country? Right? We think we know what's best for this world, but we really don't. Only God knows, because he has like, infinite foresight as to what's going to happen, how certain things affect other things. And that's why Jesus says, when you pray, pray for your will to be done on earth, because he knows better than anybody else. So again, I ask you, was Jesus out of line when he asked for something different from, from, his, from his Father's will? The answer is no. And this is why we ought to pray in the same way he did. <clears throat> because in this Lord's Prayer, if you look at the last part, it says, uh, and forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. This is what we like to, in the Lord's Prayer, this is what we like to call confession. Confession is basically the thing that transforms us so that our will starts to align with God's will. Let me explain what that means. I'm about to put two facts on the screen that seem like they have nothing, it has nothing to do with prayer, but it has everything to do with prayer. The first thing is this, that God cannot dwell in lies. God cannot dwell in lies. God is truth, and he cannot live in the realm of lies. He just can't do it. It's just contradictory. And the second thing is that confession forces us to face truth. So let's just say I'm sitting here and I pray to God, God, um, I would love for uh, my neighbor to be blessed and have a better job, paying job than me. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. And God says, but you didn't mean that. Do you really want that? I mean, what you just prayed right now sounds, in con- the content sounds like something I would want you to pray, but, but you don't mean it. You're lying. You're lying through your teeth. You don't really want that. You, you're asking me to grant something where you really don't want. You're lying. Be honest. What is it that you really want? It's like, okay, I'll be honest, God. I'll be honest. I don't want that person to succeed more than me because I want to feel better than them. We should bring failure upon them and success to me. There, I said it. Are you happy, God? And God says, oh my, <laughs> For the first time, you are being honest. You are being truthful. And because you're truthful, I can meet you there. I cannot meet you where you are lying. I can meet you where you, as, as destructive as that sounds, I can meet you where you're lying, uh, where you're being telling the truth, as, as bad as it sounds. This is why in the book of Psalms, there's a collection of poems and songs in the middle of the Bible, which are just prayers, where people say things like, God, I hate my enemies. I, hate, I hope that you hate them too. Would you destroy them? And you're like, how did that get in the Bible? When we are honest, brutally honest with God, God says, that's honest. I can meet you there. Now let's start working on transforming your heart. Until you acknowledge where you really are, God cannot come into your heart and start molding you. This is why we need to have honest prayers. And this is what we call confession. Confession is saying, God, I want to be honest with you. Sometimes I feel like I could do your job better than I could do, uh, that you can do yours. So uh, that's, yeah, that's just me telling the truth. And God's like, as bad as that prayer was, at least you told the truth. I can meet you there. Now let's stop, start molding you. Let's start changing you. Let's start, you know, tomorrow at this time, pray that same prayer again. 
be honest with you. Be honest with me about what, how you're feeling, what you're really thinking. And every time you pray a prayer, an honest prayer, God starts to change it little by little. God, I really hate that guy. I think this world would be better if that guy didn't exist. I can't believe you gave him so much power and authority in, in this city or this country or in the world to do these things. I wish you would just make him lose his job. I, I wish you would just take his fortune away. I wish you would just do these things. And God would say, do you hear yourself how destructive your prayers sound? But at least you're honest. Let's work on that. You have to start with honesty. Jesus started by saying, I wish I don't have to go through the suffering. I wish you would just take this away from me so I don't have to deal with it. And the father says, I see you're trying to change the circumstances here, but at least you're honest. And then the very next line of the prayer, he says, your will be done, not mine. And some Psalms, you'll actually see that progression where it starts off with people saying, I hate this, I hate that. There's one Psalm that even talks about how, like, I'm doing my best to follow you, God, and over here there's a person who's not following you, and, and I feel like my life is miserable while that person's having a great life. This isn't fair. And if you read through the Psalm, you'll start to discover that his heart's starting to change little by little. Where finally at the end of, the, at end of that Psalm, he says, but I want to praise you, and I mean it. I want to worship you, and I want to mean it. I just didn't realize what a good life I had, and I mean that when I said that. God begins transformation when you're honest with him. And this is why we confess. This is why we say, God, this is exactly how I'm feeling. And so is it okay to ask him for certain things? Of course it is. And if you're asking for the wrong things, at least you're honest, and God will start to transform that little by little as you pray that prayer every week, every day. Maybe the first time you pray, you say, I wish that person was dead. And you're like, oh, my pastor hears that. He's going to kick me out of the church. You know, we won't kick you out of the church for having those thoughts. Okay, but if you do it, then police might get involved. Okay, but, like, but you're like, oh, I wish that person never lived. I never existed. He's just making my life miserable. And maybe a week later, you pray that same prayer, and you're thinking, okay, I don't want him dead, but I do want him, you know, to be disciplined one day, you know, or whatever. And as you keep being honest with God, you'll start to see that God changes your heart, molds your heart little by little. This is why it's so important for us to be honest with God and ask him for the things that we really want in our hearts. Even if you think it's wrong, we have to ask for them because that's the only way that God could meet with you and start molding you little by little. In other words, confession aligns us with God so he can begin to transform us. There's passages in the Bible, <coughs> excuse me, that you'll come across, you know, that you, as you read through it, especially in the New Testament, where people start, you can, you, people's prayers are actually being recorded. And in some of those prayers, especially this guy named Paul the Apostle, one of the first Christian leaders um, of history, when he prays for a group of people, like in the book of Ephesians, book of Romans, he always says things like, oh, and I pray that God will give you strength. And then after that, he adds this little thing that says, according to his will. Basically, what he's saying is, I want you to have the best life that you can have as long as it is part of God's plan. He'll use phrases like according to his will. He'll use phrases like according to his purpose. Another part says according to his glory. You know, and he uses different phrases, but he means the same thing. He says, whatever you ask for, I want you to have it as long as it's part of his plan. Romans chapter 8, 28. This is a very famous verse. As we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called, right? It's like, people have used this verse on me sometimes where I'm going through a really tough time. It's like, oh, the cots, don't worry. God always works for the good of those who, who love him, right? Yeah. But we often forget the last part of this. It says, according 
to his purpose. So we have to make sure that whatever we pray for is part of his plan because we have to believe that his ways are better than ours. You know, at Westside Community Church, we believe in this thing called Experience Heaven Together. This is our vision statement. We believe that everything we do needs to contribute to this, Experience Heaven Together. That no matter what we do, if it's not contributing to God's restoration of this world, if it's not leading to somebody going to heaven, if it's not leading to any of those things, then we, don't, we want nothing to do with it. And this is why we have life groups, right? So we can speak truth into each other's lives. So we can listen to people vent about their day and say, well, let's pray about that. You see, like we do all these things and we pray these things and we want God to correct us along the way so that we could be a, an asset to God's kingdom rather than somebody that's trying to run on the opposite direction of it. We think that the world is better because Jesus died on the cross. We think it's better, the world is better because we have been in this world. And, you know, and the reason we could, we could hope for those things is because we believe that God is faithful in making sure that, that he's transforming us from the inside out as we start to become more and more of an asset to his kingdom. But it all starts with confession. Before any of the prayers that I listed on the screen earlier, before we pray any of those types of prayers, we have to remember the purpose of prayer is not to change God's mind, but rather it's for God to change our hearts. And it has to start with confession, being honest with God. Because when we are honest with God, God could finally meet us there and start molding us. So whether if you believe in the liturgical prayer, the, the composed prayers, the written prayers that we read, right, and say, Lord, you know, do this, do that, you know, all that kind of stuff, and we all read it together, which sounds really nice when everybody's on the same pace, right? Or you're on the other side of the spectrum who are basically like, hey, you know, I believe in free, freedom and prayer. I'll pray for whatever I want, claim it in the name of Jesus, and all that kind of stuff. Both prayers are good, and I think that's great. But we have to un- understand foundationally that the purpose of these prayers is not to change God's mind, but it's for, so that God could change us so that we start praying the right things. Amen? Amen. So what we're going to do for the next few minutes is we're going to have a time of confession. Now, I'm not going to ask you guys to come up here and speak into the mic. That might be inappropriate for some of you. <laughs> but what we're going to do is we're going to have a time of silence. And in this time of silence, I want you to be brutally honest with God. I think for some people, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, this prayer is actually harder to pray. Because you're like, for me to want these things, that doesn't sound Christian to me. No, I think it's the opposite. To be brutally honest with God, that is the Christian thing to do. And then wait for God to transform you little by little.